Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Deconstructing Disney here on Commented, where we take a deep dive into the making, origin, and lasting impact of Disney films. I'm Tori. I'm Marin. I'm Mia. And I'm Decoria. And this week, we'll be taking a look at the 1967 original Disney film, The Jungle Book. But before we get into our deep dive, make sure you are subscribed for notifications. And a reminder that our episode schedule has changed from Wednesday to Saturday to Wednesday and Sunday. You can follow us on Twitter and TikTok for more announcements or even join us in Discord to chit-chat. And don't forget to leave that five-star review wherever you're listening. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with our monthly Disney fix um, aka how much do we hate Walt today? That's probably the <laughs> name of the game. Um, we're gonna we, well, I mean this might be the last time we mentioned him, but we'll but you'll get to that in a second. So, um this movie was made and released in nineteen sixty seven. It was directed by Wolfgang Redman, star story by Larry Clemens, Ralph Wright, Ken Addison, and Vance Greary. The original book is based on the jungle book by Rudyard Kipling. Produced by Walt Disney, starring Phillips Harris, Sebastian Kabat, George Sanders, Sterling Holly, John Abbott, Louis Prima, and Bruce Redman. Um, it was released by, distributed by Buena Vista Distribution, 78 minutes, 4 million budget, 378 million box office. Um, I think we're kicking off the golden age of Disney, but just to check, uh, Marin, is this your first time watching The Jungle Book? No, I, this is one of those Disney movies that I did see when I was younger. Um, Corey, have you seen The Jungle Book before? Yeah, I've seen it multiple times as a kid. And I remember watching like the live action that came out in like 2016 or 15, like mm-hmm. a couple of times as well. Uh, what about you, Nia? Have you seen The Jungle Book? Yes, I had seen it as a kid, and then as I got older, I think I saw it again, Um, and that was about, like, 10 years ago or so, so it's still semi-fresh in my head. Uh, What about you, Tori? Uh, I have definitely seen The Jungle Book. Once again, my mother just played Disney on repeat for me. She also really loved Disney. Um, My mom's a music person, so um, I've seen the original i seen the sequel and i went to go see the live action in theater i think jungle book is one of those ones that i don't it does it's not one of those that like the songs are constantly stuck in my head but i when i watch it i always enjoy it and i did end up rewatching all three of those today because i you know didn't do the homework i was supposed to be doing okay anyway <laughs> so let's just jump into a recap of the 1967 version of the Jungle Book, we start off with a narration from our favorite Black Panther, Bagheera, who says, um, actually, let me read the first line. You know, there are many, he said, there's many wild stories about the jungle, but the most interesting um, one is of a small boy named Mowgli. And this opening scene is Bagheera finding Mowgli in a crashed boat on a river. Um, he said he knew there's a man village nearby, but he's, you know, he knew that if uh, he left baby Mowgli there, he would definitely die. So he had to find him a people, a group of um, animals to leave him with, take care. And he knew of a, a mother wolf who just had pups. So he goes and drops baby Mowgli off to the in front of the den. You know, he makes the baby cry, and our wolf, um, I think her name is Raksha, is the name of the mother, 
um oh Rama she and her ain't Rama oh yeah Raksha and Rama and so uh the baby Mowgli is now being raised by wolves and so we get a time jump forward as tin the rain had come and gone ten years I mean ten times which means it's been ten years Mowgli's now ten he's walking on two feet uh, he's loved by his pack uh oh he's loved by his pack I'm sorry I'm getting the stories mixed up I probably shouldn't have watched all three of them back to back and so I'm getting the original mixed up with the live action excuse me okay so yes um he's grown up the night the council meets on um rock the elders of the wolf pack and they talk about how Kirishan, a Bengal tiger, has returned back to this part of the jungle. And it is no, the Shere Khan is a man-eating tiger. He does not like people. And so um, uh, they decide that Mowgli has to leave. Um, Akila, the leader of the pack, tells Rama and Rakasha that Mowgli has to go back to the man village. And Bagheera volunteers to take him back to the village. Um they don't really tell Mowgli, you know, and of course, uh, Raksha and Rama are very sad about it. So, but Bagheera's like, we walked in the forest before. He'll come with me. It'll be fine. This is the best thing for him. It's best that he is safe with his own people instead of potentially being eaten by, you know, a crazy ass tiger. And so they, <laughs> uh, Bagheera doesn't tell Mowgli anything. And they, you know, he's like, oh, we're just going on a walk on the woods. Where are we going? Um, and so the Magira tells him, you're going back to the main village. You have to go back to the main village. And um, Mowgli's like, um, hell to the no. I don't know, man. I only lived in this jungle. I don't know who those men are. I don't care who they are. Um, he's like, but you have to because Shere Khan's going to eat you. And Mowgli's like, I'm not afraid of no Shere Khan. Just like every 10-year-old boy, he thinks he's invincible. Um, <laughs> so they decide to take a, a rest at a tree for the night they go to sleep and this is when we were just introduced to Ka Ka the giant Indian python who begins to hypnotize Mowgli and um you know sings a song about trusting me and I'll let you stay in the jungle and you know Bagheera the most the world's most awful babysitter (laughs) is sitting on the tree uh while you know Mowgli is being hypnotized and then eventually eventually he wakes up realized that Mowgli's almost gotten eaten and so he's like Ka stop you can't do that Mowgli's you know a friend we got to take him to the man village because like you're messing with my meal let me try to hypnotize you Mowgli you know does the great thing of pushing most of Ka's body weight off the tree and so he falls down and now Bagheera and Mowgli are safe uh Ka I just this scene of the snake moving away and the accordion sounds I was like have they always used so many sound effects in the movie and i just didn't realize it yeah i'll get to that in my music (laughs) section okay because i was just like why are there so many different sound effects that's supposed to be like notes for comedy um and so um bagheera's like okay man cub you did what you had to do so next we get to meet the elephants um which i was surprised that i remembered this song um but 
The next morning, it's the morning patrol, and you hear these elephants who are stomping through the foliage patrolling, and they are led by Colonel Hathi and his wife, Winifred. Um, you know, Mowgli falls in line behind their son, the baby elephant. He's just really amazed at the elephants, and they're like military elephants, and I was so confused. Well, one of the, all the something confusing things is that um, I know that they don't have to have Indian English accents in this story, but the fact that so many of the animals have like British Australian accents is just <laughs> is just kind of like huh to me. But they explained it with the elephant. This elephant was in the like Indian Army, and this I think this was what India was a British territory. And then he was, I guess, he was released back into the wild. But he like runs the elephants like a little military. And, you know, they make jokes. Um, you know, he's inspecting the elephants and all of that stuff. And he gets to Mowgli and he's just like, um, what does he even say? He's like, oh, you're, you're not an elephant. You're a man cub. What are you doing in my jungle? And Bakira's like, oh, hold up. He's my man cub. I'm taking him back to the man village. Um, and so they leave the elephants and we then move on to um we meet Baloo so after well first after they meet with the elephants Bagheera and Mowgli get into another fight and Bagheera's like fuck this even though I volunteered to be a babysitter I give the fuck up y'all don't pay me enough and so he leaves Mowgli in the middle of the jungle and so Mowgli's you know just walking around all sad he's been taken away from his only family his friends no longer with him and then all of a sudden, coming out of the rustling trees is a dancing sloth bear named Baloo. And he meets Smogling and he's just like, yo, you're a man cub. And they, you know, kind of get out to a rocky start. But then um, um, uh, Baloo starts to sing about the bear necessities and um, showing him, you know, that if you're going to be, <laughs> he's like, if you're going to be a man cub in the forest, then you know you you got to be strong so he starts to teach him how to roar and then Bagheera is like oh my god I shouldn't have left him he turns back around only to find he's with Baloo and so Baloo sings about the bear necessities and Mowgli enjoys Baloo's company and so I was like okay we're gonna work together I'm gonna learn to be a bear like Baloo and Bagheera's like no you gotta go to the man village and Baloo's like no they're gonna ruin him they're gonna turn him into a man and it's just like well that's how he's gonna survive okay we gotta do this for Mowgli's sake and so we get the Bear Necessities song about ants and prickly paws and all of that good stuff. And so, you know, Baloo and, you know, Big Ears, like, I give up. I'm not even going to try to get any more sitting with Baloo. I guess it'll be fine. And so Baloo and Mowgli go chill in the river and they're singing the Bear Necessities. And all of a sudden, these monkeys take very uh, interest in um, our new friends and they're like watching them float down the river and then they decide they're gonna kidnap Mowgli and you're just like one bad babysitter after another Mowgli can't get a break and so now he's being kidnapped by monkeys and so Baloo and Bagheera go to save Mowgli who has been taken by the monkeys and taken to the ancient ruins and at the ancient ruins we meet king Louis. and god there's something we'll talk about this later. <laughs> yeah we'll that's to definitely going to be talked about later we'll, we'll get to it later but um 
we get to King Lou and King was like, I want to be like man. You know, he calls him cousin because the joke is that apes and humans are close in DNA. And he's just like, you know what? You know, teach me how to make red, you know, the red flower. Teach me how to make fire. Teach me how to, you know, be like you. I want to be like you. I want to take over the jungle. We can rule the jungle together. And Mowgli's like, first he's cool with it, but after a while he's like, I don't think I want to be here anymore. And so Baloo and Bagheera both get to the ancient ruins and Bagheera's trying to come up with a plan and Baloo is getting carried away by the music. And I'm like, sir, focus. We have priorities. Does he care? No. He starts to dance and he's like, I got a plan. So he disguises himself with a coconut around his lips and banana leaves around his waist and head. And he starts um, dancing with King Louie. So King Louie and Baloo are out here chilling it, you know, hucking it up. Um, and then they realize that it's not, you know, like a comrade. It's blue. And so they fight. They end up ruining the ancient ruins. And so they both end up injured. That night, Big Gear explains to Baloo that we have to take Mowgli to the Man Village. I know you like your little cub. I know y'all are cool friends. All that good stuff. But Shere Khan is going to be after him if he finds out there's a man cub in the jungle. So we have to get him to safety. And so Bagheera's like, he's the only one you listen to. So you got to do it. And so Baloo's like, all right. So the next day, Baloo is, you know, Bungley's really excited to be with Baloo again. And they're chit-chatting and so he's like you know what i gotta tell you something he tries to explain it to mowgli like but you're explaining to him but it's not working so he then says you know um you know you're not like us you gotta be with your people um you gotta go back you gotta go to the man village he's like oh you're just like them uh you're just uh you're just like Bagheera. And so he runs off into the forest. And so Baloo tells Bagheera, I hope you're happy now. I said all those mean words and now he's run off. And so as he runs off, we cut to a scene of Shere Khan. Um, Shere Khan is trying to hunt a deer, but then the morning patrol comes in. The morning patrol comes in, they're singing. Bagheera goes to the morning patrol and, you know, begs the colonel to look for, uh, look for Mowgli before Shere Khan gets him and they don't know that Shere Khan is in the shadows listening and he's like ooh a man cub got to go hunting cause I don't like people and so um you know this is where you know Winifred the colonel's wife is just like the colonel didn't want to do it at first but Winifred who's like if you don't run the platoon I'm gonna run them and this is supposed to be an inside joke well a funny joke for people who know anything about elephants an elephant herd is all women. There's never men in them. So all these elephants being men is a, is a contradiction in itself. And so the creators did a little jokey joke there. Um, so, you know, uh, Shere Khan hears all the elephants plans. And he's like laughing. He's like, oh, so I'm going to get to hunt this man for real. Because y'all are not good at espionage. Um, so we get to follow Mowgli being all sad again. He runs back in the car and gets hypnotized him and almost gets killed by Ka. But then, um, Shere Khan, who's looking for the man cub, finds Ka. And Ka's, and he's like, hey, yo, Ka, what's up, man? I think you're eating somebody up there. Who is it? And Ka's like, no, 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 I don't know what you're talking about, Shere Khan. And then Shere Khan proceeds to try to choke Ka out. And it's just like, 
um, yeah, well, you know, if you see the man cub, you're going to tell me first. And Kyle's like, of course, buddy. Of course, good buddy old pal. I got you. Of course, he's lying. And Shere Khan kind of knows he's lying. And so Shere Khan leaves. And um, while he was, while Ka is distracted, Mowgli frees himself from Shere Khan's grip. Not Shere Khan, from Ka's grip. And he's back out in the jungle by himself. He keeps wandering into like the wastelands where the vultures are. And the vulture was like, oh, dude. They start, they see Mowgli and they just make fun of him for not having feathers and some shit. And so Mowgli breaks down crying. He's like really sad. He wants to go home. He doesn't want to leave the jungle. He has no friends. Nobody loves him. And so as the birds are singing about friendship and all of that good stuff, Shere Khan comes in out of nowhere and sings the birds you know are scared they try to hide behind Mowgli I don't know if that's what that's gonna do for them but Mowgli it's not scared of Shere Khan you know this what 600 pound Bengal tiger does not face him I've been raised with wolves my mother is Raksha I know a little bitch and so Shere Khan and Mowgli have this face off <laughs> you kind of see in Mowgli's face um, that he's not scared until Shere Khan tries to pounce on him. Luckily, Baloo was right around the corner and he grabs his tail and he's like, run, kid, run. And so, you know, Mowgli, but he, Mowgli again is like, I ain't a little bitch. So he grabs a stick and he keeps hitting Shere Khan in the face. And so they have this little comedic like run around the wasteland staying and then a tree gets struck by lightning and the vultures are like, ayo, kid, Shere Khan's afraid of fire use your fire be a man and so what does Mowgli do tie the bush of fire to Shere Khan's tail and send Shere Khan off running and so you know he's um we think Baloo is dead because Shere Khan bit him in the neck and then Bagheera shows up and he's like Baloo was a good friend even though he was lazy you know all the sacrifice and bravery let's go Mowgli let's go man cub and then Baloo wakes up and Bagheera's really mad at him he's like oh we're all alive we all made it through the little fight with Shere Khan and so they head towards the man village and Mowgli still doesn't want to go and so then you hear this humming oh my gosh <laughs> I forgot about this part of the movie so when I saw it I was like what <laughs> um you hear this humming from this girl who's like got a basin of water who is getting um water from the river and she's singing about um it's called my own home about how her mother sends her to uh get water from the river until she's grown and she'll do the same thing and have her own home and have her own husband and have her own daughter and basically this girl seduces Mowgli out of the jungle into the forest and then Bagheera, 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 and Baloo, um, side by side, singing the bare necessities, stroll off into the forest. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the nineteen sixty seven Jungle Book. Reactions? Um, it was really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, but I felt like the ending was abrupt when he just left. I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Corey? Yeah, it was extremely entertaining. I feel like I probably enjoyed this movie the most out of the ones that we've watched. And maybe because I already liked it in the first place. So that that's yeah. probably why. <laughs> but yeah. And of course, Bare Necessities is stuck in my head again as it was before because they had it in that one commercial with the song that had with the C D that had all the songs on it or whatever. 
Bare Necessities was always a part of like those compilation albums of like greatest hits. And so the song has been stuck in my head for years and now it's back. (laughs) So (laughs) what about you, Nia reactions? Hmm. (laughs) I controversial time. I thought it was good. Yeah. I felt like over time I was like, where's the story going? Mm -hmm. Is there a story anymore? Um, and then it kind of just ended and I was like, mm, okay. I mean, I thought it was fine. I just, it's not in my top 10. <laughs> what about you, Tori? Um, yeah, I was a little lackluster. I'm realizing the more and more that we start watching these movies that I think the sequels are the ones that I grew up with the most. Um, because I did mm. watch Jungle Book 2 after this. I was like, oh, I remember all of these songs. Why is all the music kind of slap? Um... And all of that stuff. And so, like, I enjoyed the sequel and the live action much more than I did the original. It always baffled me that Walt was such a dictator and such so involved in the story. And once again, the storytelling, there was no plot. It was just, like, little... They still don't know how to string a story together, it feels like. Like, it feels like um, we're just watching animated sequences mm-hmm. without any real. You know what's crazy? Now that you say that, I don't know why I don't love this because it gave me Alice in Wonderland vibes, just like going from one new setting to the next. And then I was just like, why do I not like this? But I love Alice in Wonderland. Hmm. It could just be that the that just I don't know. I think Alice in Wonderland has a fanatical sense that keeps you entertained while this is a very one one to two story because Alice in Wonderland, not everybody she meets is a villain in um right and here though everybody wanted smoke everybody was trying to kidnap Mowgli, and i'm like <laughs> my man is just trying not to get killed by this Bengal tiger and y'all are out here kidnapping him and all this shit and it's just like uh f- hold up freeze and it's just like they just did the exact same plot point over and over and over again until we got to meet shere khan and it was like yeah did we, and then yeah did we have to do that like um yeah i feel like this is like the first half of tarzan like the first <laughs> 20 minutes of tarzan and then they it's like when they got to tarzan they're like oh we actually have to make some more stuff besides <laughs> him like going introduced to the humans and then like like i'm thinking about all the I other like, shows yeah. that we've done and i'm like i don't even know if we've had if we've had a story that i liked the plot of it Mm. you know what i'm saying even cinderella i feel like we all unanimously yeah unanimously cinderella's a good one but cinderella is also a story that's been told 710 times yeah so it's hard not to have a plot exactly. with that while the jungle book is a new kind of storytelling it's not as old as cinderella and i don't know why yeah i feel like maybe mm, even 100 dalmatians was dragging Maybe the only other one that I really like was Lady and a Tramp, plot-wise, kind of. Oh, yeah. I think that one definitely was, like, a more interesting, like, plot. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely felt like it had, like, tenser moments. Yeah, because there was, like, even when he met Shere Khan, I was like, are we really in danger? And y'all don't even kill him. Y'all just right. let him go. I was like, that man was trying to murder you. Family. Oh yeah. Um Shere Khan 
in this one versus the live action, I was scared Bruh. of him in the live action. Oh my Why god, I so rewatched. I remember being scared of him in the yeah. theater, and I rewatched it. I was like, oh, this man's a psychopath. <laughs> this man cool. is crazy. This is, I remember sitting in that theater, theater, being like, this is for children because I'm scared. <laughs> right, I'm sitting in my seat, scared. Right. Okay. Um. Well, let's jump into interesting production facts. My sources are Wikipedia, IMDb, um, a Stacey Conrad article on mental flaws, and I think I used one more source, a ScreenCrush.com article by Sarah Franks Allen. Okay. So, let's start with Four Rides of Profits. Bill Pete claimed to Walt that we can do a more interesting animal characters when he saw the Kipling book and suggested um, Jungle Book for the next film. Walt <laughs> didn't want to do that. He was very upset that people didn't like the Sword of the Stone. And he was just like, um, so whatever we do next has to be banging. So when Bill brought this up, he's like, okay, Bill, since you want to do this, let's do this. Disney agreed he acquired the film rights from the estate of Alexander Cordra, who had produced the 1942 film adaptation. By April 1962, um, they spent 10 years in negotiation. Uh, Disney, so after that, Bill, Bill looked at the book, did the script, and Disney's like, nah, it's too dark. I don't like it. Um, and Pete was like, Mm, but I really, really uh, I really think this, you know, works with the story. And but Disney again was said about Sword of Stone, so he was like, absolutely not. And so, um, him and Pete got in a tussle. Pete refused to change the script, the script, and after a long argument, Pete left Disney Studio in January of 1964. So Disney decided to become more involved in the story. Um, his nephew Roy Disney saying that he certainly influenced everything about it with Jungle Book. He obviously got hooked on the jungle and the characters that live there. Um, after Pete left, the product was the mm, the production was given over to Larry Clemens to head the story development of the project. He gave Clemens a copy of the book and said, "The first thing I want you to do is to not read it." There, Walt goes again, taking shit and being like, we're not going to stick to any of the source material. I just want the name and the characters. So, that being said, Disney took an active role in the meetings, acting out each role and helping explore the emotions of the characters, helping create gags and developing emotional sequence. If you haven't known by now, we don't like Walt as a creative. <laughs> Walt was a good businessman. I do not think he was good at writing stories. And I think that is reflected in this production so um clemens also uh created the human girl with whom mowgli falls in love with as the animators considering that falling in love would be the best excuse for mowgli to leave the jungle <laughs> animator ali johnson johnston hated the ending because he felt it was lazy and tacked on but the more he worked on the sequence the more he began to feel it was the right one later johnson said that he was glad that walt didn't listen to him um, because somebody who had watched the show who was of importance, I don't remember who it was, came to him and was just like, oh, them holding shoulders and walking off into the distance was the perfect ending. And I was like, we did not watch the same movie. No, it wasn't. It was <laughs> He was correct the first time. It wasn't. <laughs> right. 
Um, that being said, the Jungle Book was released in October of 1966, just 10 months after Walt's death. Dun dun! This was the last movie that Walt worked on before he died. Um, some bookings were in the double feature format with Charlie and the Lonesome Cougar. Produced with a budget of $4 million, the film was a massive success, grossing, dom- grossing domestic rentals of $11.5 million by 1968. By 1970, the film had grossed $13 million domestic rentals, becoming the second highest grossing animated film in the United States and Canada. The film earned almost $23.8 million worldwide, becoming the most successful animated film released during its initial run. The Jungle Book was re-released theater theatrically whoo, in North America in 78, 84, and 1990, and also in Europe throughout the 1970s and the 1980s. The 1978 re-release in North America rentals um, added up to two, $27.3 which surpassed Snow White and the Seven Doors, making the high grossness animated film in the United States and Canada until Snow White was released in 83 again. The film's total life grosses in the United States and Canada is $141 million. When adjusted for info, infl- inflation, it is estimated to be the equivalent of six hundred and seventy-one million two hundred twenty-four thousand dollars in two thousand eighteen, which would make it the thirty-second highest-running grossing film in the United States and Canada. It's the most successful film released in Germany, with twenty-seven three point twenty-seven point three million tickets sold during its theatrical run. Jesus Christ! Okay, this was the last animated feature that Disney. Um, had his hands on. Uh, he died December 15, 1966. Oh, okay. Um, they got back to business working on the last animated feature he had, and so therefore it was released a year, it's a change later in 1967. This was, they did use the zero graphic uh, system, um, which had been used since 101 Dimensions. That's like all the unfinished lines. But they had combined um, both Xerox cells and hand-inked details. So if you watch the animation closely in the original one, Mowgli's kind of walking over paintings instead of interacting with his... Um, the environment he is in compared to like 101 Dimensions. So it's kind of like they use the hand-painted stuff from like Bambi and then the Xerox technology from 101 Dalmatians. When the movie um, started, it said um, Technicolor at the bottom. Yes. So I was like, oh, okay. Mm. While the basic animation on the village girl at the end of the movie was with Xerox cells, her mouth was inked by hand. The backgrounds also moved back towards the more traditional look of early years. Um, for the film's background, Disney animators visited real jungles in India instead of wildlife there. Do they still take trips to other parts of the world to do backgrounds, you think? I feel like they've probably gotten all the information they needed from other movies. <laughs> so they probably have like a database or something. Right. Okay. Casting and actors. The Young Elephant was voiced by Clint Howard, um, Ron Howard's younger brother. He also voiced the Disney youngster Rue in Winnie the Pooh movies. Um, the original child actor from Mowgli, David Ann Bailey, had to be let go as his voice broke during the film's three-year production, and as a result, director Wolfgang Redman cast his son, Bruce, who had just voiced Christopher Robin in Winnie the Pooh and Honey Tree. The animator shot footage of Bruce as a guide for the character's performance. The animal character of King Louis was not there in the book. Uh, it was created by Walt Disney in his film... Uh, King Louis is a giant Thopicus. Giant Thopicus. 
an ancestor of the orangutan whose range is believed to be included in the parts of India. Now, this sent me um, as a, you know, a once wanted to be a zoologist on a little trend. When I watched the original and then I watched the live action, the orangutan is much bigger. And I'm saying here thinking, there ain't no way <laughs> an orangutan was that big. I know orangutans get to be like two, three feet, right? So the giant, giant off, whatever the fuck this title is, <laughs> used to be like 3.5 meters tall. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. But also while I was watching the original, not the original, the live action, there was rhinos. And I was like, bitch, are there rhinos in India? Y'all, there are rhinos in motherfucking India. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I did not know that. Um, right. They also definitely thought that monkey in a live um, action was made up. Did not think it was really that big. I'm about to look this up. The live action one, he's like, he has to be like 10 feet tall. He does. He's huge. They they said the giant Ophipithecus, whatever this is, used to be that big. And I was like, Mm -mm. so are you telling me Sasquatch was just in South Asia? That's that's what you're telling me. Because I I couldn't see a primate that big and be okay after that. It was huge. Um, but yes. So, celebrity voice casting was not common in early Disney films. So, the singer Louis Prima playing King Louis was a bit of an oddity. Um, Prima brought a huge amount of enthusiasm to the role, which included improvising his own scat. Um, we'll probably get more to that in the music. He frequently called the studio with suggestions for the character, even proposed killing him off because he knew he could perform a phenomenal death scene. Um, what actually ended up happening was is that they got the comedian who plays Baloo. I think his name, last name is Harris. Yes, Phil Harris, who plays Baloo, is a comedian. And so when they thought, when they said, oh, this comedian is going to be in a, a, a kilting uh, a Kipling f- film they're like what the fuck but then they saw what Phil can do and so they're like oh that's kind of cool why don't we also get somebody famous to play uh to play who am I talking about uh King Louis and so that's why they had um Louis Prima but in actuality Louis Armstrong yes Louis Armstrong was originally said to be the voice of King Louis but another jazz singer was, but Primo was casted after Walt Disney threw the idea of Armstrong, who was African American, to play an eight would make the audience find the film racist. However, the monkeys who kidnap Mowgli and deliver him to King Louis were all voiced by black actors. We will continue this conversation when we get to Dia's part. Um, child actress Darling Carr was going around the studio singing. She, I guess, she worked in other movies. The Sherman brothers heard her, asked her to record the demo for My Home. Carr's performance impressed Disney enough that she was cast as the role of the human girl. This was also her last work with Disney. And then we have actress Verna Felton. You've probably heard this name before. She was a staple in Disney films. She voiced Cinderella's fairy godmother, the triple went to Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland, Aunt Sam from Lady and the Tramp, and Floor from Sleeping Beauty. Um, she died one day before Walt did. This was her last work with Disney. Um. <laughs> So, then we have to talk about, I guess, like, the gender of something animals. Um, because if you didn't notice, it's overwhelmingly male cast. Um, 
John Fierro's film, The Jungle Book of 2016, Carl was portrayed as a female for the first time. And the original Carl was a male snake. And he explained that he made the change because he felt there were too many male characters in the original series. Bagheera was the second animal character whose gender was twisted. In the 1998 film, The Jungle Book Mowgli Story, Bagheera was portrayed as a female. Um, there was a whole character cut out um, called Rocky the Rhino, who was dim-witted, bumbling, near-blind, and would pr- prove to be some kind of comedic relief. Um, his scenes were completely storyboarded. Uh, he was supposed to appear after King Louis scene, but Walt didn't want to put the funny sequences back-to-back. Um, of course, everything um, in the movie is pronounced wrong. Mowgli is supposed to be Mowgli. Um, not Mowgli. In addition, Ka is supposed to be Car. Baloo is supposed to be Bear, which have been Barloo. And Colonel Hathi is supposed to be Hutti. All of these names are based off actual, I think, words for animals in, in I don't, I think it's Hindi. Uh, the Jungle Book 2016 became the first film adaptation for the of Ru- Rudyard Kipling's novel, The Jungle Book, to win an Academy Award. Within one of the category for Best Visual Effects, the other films, which was Alexander Cordra's 1944 and Waltz in 1966, were nominated. Um, George- Gregory Peck was president of the Academy of Motion Arts and Sciences. He tried to hardest to get the full-length animated film uh, feature uh, not only nominated for the Academy Award but for Best Picture but to also actually win the award he resigned in president in 1970 when the other members didn't agree with him about animated films being not uh, nominated for the award. It would be over 20 years later before Academy would reconsider allowing another animated film and Disney film Beauty and the Beast to be nominated. And those were fun production facts with Tori. John. Is there anything that surprises you? <laughs> the orangutan part, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, because you see the live action, Corey. That thing was fucking yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was real scale. Huh. I guess um, also um, the amount of work that goes into movies. I really just be looking at animators and think they either just come up with it off the top of their head or they Google shit. The fact that no, they for need real. to go visit places, I'm like, you know what? That makes sense. That you, right. That research is good. Yes. Yeah, because how does how does <laughs> how does Gregory, who's been living in LA for his whole life, exactly. know what the Indian jungle looks like? He doesn't. He has to go there. They didn't have Google in the 60s, mm-hmm. so they had to go to places to actually film a working holiday. Um. All right, let's move on to music with Nia. Okay, so warning, there's a lot. I will probably skip some stuff because there's just so mm-hmm. much. Um, and yeah, okay, so all my sources, I got them from the Disney Fandom Wiki, um, the Wikipedia, several Wikipedia pages, like the soundtrack page and the main page, and the IMDb section that has the facts and trivia. Um, so there is so much. <laughs> this is, it was released, of course, in 1967. Um, the main soundtrack has eight songs. Um, com- score is composed by George Bruns. He's a returning person on the soundtrack. Um, songs written by Terry Gilkison. I'm going to say that's Gilkson? correct. Sorry for the pronunciation. Gilkison. Gil- yeah, that's probably right. Gilkson. Yeah. Gilkison. Yeah. Gilkison, probably. <laughs> and the Sherman Brothers came back again by Walt's request. Um, orchestr- and the orchestrated the, the orchestration was done by Walter Sheets. Um, 
So there's so much with like the logistics, but I'm going to get into this in a minute. Um, it was also a Disney soundtrack that was released in three different versions. Um, at the time, I believe it was only two. So like three official different versions of this soundtrack exist. Um, there's the original version, which was called the storybook version. It's a storyteller version. And I was like, huh, what is that? But it was actually like, it was a soundtrack to where they kept the sound effects from the movie and they had a narration of, um, they had actual narration plus the songs plus sound effects. So it's like almost like a recording of the movie. Mm. Um, but it was like, so it's like, they call it a soundtrack, but it was uh, marketed towards kids. Um, but they call it the storyteller version. Um, um, both of the versions, there's a 30th anniversary version that was released in 1997. Um, that was a reissue for, uh, and it had 21 songs because background, there was, they were Disney, like, you know, how Walt is, he wants something and then he changes his mind and then someone has just like scrapped all of their songs. <laughs> so this happened again. Um, it's, uh, okay, I'm going to try to go to that part. Give me one quick mm-hmm. second. Okay, so... Terry Gilkison was brought in to write the songs for the film at first. Um, Gilkison delivered several complete songs, which are faithful to like the actual Rudyard Kipling book. Um, And then Walt was like, of course, Walt was like, "Hmm, no, (laughs) he said they were too dark. And he, and he scrapped all those songs. So the 1997 30th edition anniversary soundtrack has those songs. Um, I did not listen to them because there's so many and yeah, Uh, (laughs) but they're out there if you want to, of course, listen. I think it is kind of cool though, that Disney will release those like on the anniversary Mm -hmm. editions, the unreleased songs, because hey, at least they get to, you know, not exist in the vault and they get to like be out there into the public. Um, And the soundtrack was released on Disneyland Records. Um, It's a retelling of the... Okay, hold on, give me one second. Oh, yeah. So that's like the storybook version is released on Disneyland Records. Disneyland Records is now Disney... What's it called? I feel like I know what this is. Their record label today is called Hollywood Records. Yeah. Disney's labels now Hollywood Records, I believe. Or that's what I remember. Um, um, which is voice actor Dal McKinnon as Bagheera did the dialogue for the storyteller version. Um I might look that up to see like what it's like to listen to a movie, like not listen to a movie. Cause we have, um, audio books, but I mean, for the time, I wonder if they just kept all the scenes in or if they just made it sort of like you're reading, like make maybe an early version of an audio book. Interesting. Might look into it. Um, and remember what Tori said earlier about the sound effects and like the musical things sounding like what is all mm-hmm. these in here? So two of the cues re- that were reused from previous Disney movies and they like reused assets. So the scene where Mowgli wakes up after escaping King Louie using one of Bruns- Bruns' themes for Sleeping Beauty was added to this. Um, and then Bagheera giving a eulogy to Baloo where he mistakenly thinks the bear was killed. It- there's like um, an orchestration from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves put in the background. So like Disney was like, hmm, copy paste. <laughs> it's our, let's just copy paste. Um, um, like the pups and stuff was like from the 100 Dalmatians and the dance sequence of Baloo. Yeah. And Mowgli dancing, I think is from, from Sleeping Beauty. Yep. 
Yep, yep, yep. So Disney was definitely in there, like, and it's I would be a really common thing into the seventies of just like mm-hmm. copy pasting. <laughs> um, so as I said before, once Terry Gil- Gilkeson was said, no, we don't want these songs. They're too dark. That's not the vibe I'm going for by Walt. He called in his trusty Sherman brothers and they were brought in to rewrite and complete the remaining of the songs. The only one that Terry Gilkeson did was the Bare Necessities, which was fascinating because he kept that in because he said people on staff, as soon as they played it, the staff were like humming it. And so he knew like, okay, this is a good one. Um, And also because Walt wanted upbeat songs for this. So that was his Gilkyson. That was like one of his only upbeat songs that Walt was like, absolutely. Um, And I, the irony is that like, I wonder if Walt would have kept his original songs. The soundtrack would have been just as famous because, Hey, if you're, if you have the bare necessities on your track record, I would keep the other ones too, but Hey, that's just me. (laughs) Um, So like, the film crew loved that song. So Walt was like, okay, we'll keep that in. And then um, another fact is that in one of his first union jobs, famed songwriter Van Dyke Parks arranged um, the version of Necessities heard in the film. Um, so what happened once they scrapped all of Gilkyson's songs besides the Bare Necessities, Walt was like to the Sherman brothers, he said, and I quote, find scary places and write fun songs. I said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Walt was just telling people to do anything. And keep in mind, they didn't have the book. He said, don't read the book, like Tori said earlier. So he was just like, make things. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> What was the point? What's if I don't have the source? If you don't want me to engage with the source material, what's the point? Because Gilkison didn't do anything wrong. Like he read the book and made songs. <laughs> um, so, okay, there is the duo was then like, okay, let's do what he says. Um, they tried to decided to do songs that fit in the story and advance the plot instead of being interruptive. Um, the song Trust in Me is based upon the song entitled Land of Sand, which had been written for by the Sherman Brothers for Mary Poppins, but was not used in Mary Poppins. So again, with like recycling. Um, and like that, the, the, the vulture scene, they wanted to get the actual Beatles, but they could not get the actual Beatles. So was. they kind of got like, <laughs> I don't know who Walt. Walt said, I want it my way. He said, I want it <laughs> my way. <laughs> um, but the Beatles said, absolutely not. And well, they didn't really say absolutely not. They just said no. And Walt was like, okay, you said no, I'm going to make my fake Beatles. And so he hired actors to do like fake Liverpool accents and give them like haircuts that were similar to the actual Beatles members haircuts and was just like well if I can't make it well I can't get them I'm gonna do it this way um then so um the soundtrack was a huge commercial success uh people were living for Mm. it nominated for a Grammy award for best album for children um, since the storyteller version specifically was marketed towards kids, um, and they, Disney then released the second version, which was just like the songs from their label Buena Vista um, for adults. So it was just the, the like no narration, no sound effects, just the songs. Um, and then Disney, like I said, they reissued in 97, the 30th anniversary. And, and they also did like a huge 30th anniversary thing i don't think they do this much anymore but like in the 90s they were doing a lot of like vhs soundtrack like 
big celebration things for their older yeah. movies. I think it's where like they would do collections. Were buying physical copies. Nobody does that for films anymore. Yeah. That's true. I feel like they should though, because I guess for the Disney audience, they love that yeah. kind of stuff even now. I feel like Disney's missing out on a market. <laughs> Not me giving them business advice. Um, um I'm actually look at some of these certifications. Like it's sold. It's sold copies. And I know in relative to like how many copies of the superstars were selling for this time, it may not seem like a lot, but it went gold in the US, which means it sold 500,000 copies. Like 500,000 people walked into the store and said, give me that jungle book. (laughs) Um, Then it sold 200,000 in the UK. Um, It sold like, it's like, each version got certified in the UK. Like the the eighty, like, like, there was like a two thousand six version went sold a hundred thousand in the UK. Um, Sweden two hundred went diamond in Sweden, which is two hundred thousand. I said Sweden was living. Um, Netherlands sold thirty thousand copies. Germany a hundred thousand. In France a hundred thousand. So Europe and America was living for this soundtrack. Um, and then so I'm going to talk about the like the most famous songs I feel like everyone knows from this soundtrack, even if you don't really mm-hmm. like the jungle book, um, the bare necessities first. So it's a jazz song. It was sung by Phil Harris as Baloo and Bruce Ritherman as, uh, as Mowgli. Um, and then Van Dyke parks worked on the arrangement. A reprise of the song was sung by Sebastian Calvert as Cabot as Bagheera and Phil Harris as Baloo at the very end of the film. Um, Van Dyke Parks again worked on the arrangement and the song they say on that version the reprise that it was sung by Louis Armstrong but I need to listen to it to make sure. Um, So The Bare Necessities was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song but it lost to um, I think it was Mr. Dr. Doolittle, like the old version of Dr. Doolittle. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and y'all, when I tell you, when I tell you, I had a nostalgia flashback when I was on this page reading this. They said a hip hop version of the song performed by Lou Rawls for a 1996 to 1998 TV show called Jungle Cubs. I said, who? I said, what? Uh, when I tell you, I heard, and I saw that show and I said, why is this familiar? Why am I, why am I digging into my subconscious? What is happening? It was a show that aired on Disney's network, Disney channel oh. in the nineties. And it was a kid show in the universe of the jungle book. And I said, do I know oh this? Oh my God, Mia, do I, I remember this. this? Holy crap. Wait. Corey. Corey. <laughs> All the listen, and it's like it's like deep in your memory. Like I'm not going around talking about Jungle Cubs. It's like something that you just kind of watched in passing. Because Tori, when I saw that, I said, "Why have I seen this? And where did I see this?" No, because because the show was not popular. It yeah, only lasted it's it's two all of the Jungle Book characters, but they're just like kids. <laughs> yes, and it's like because I feel like in the '90s Disney was like, "Let's make." like tv shows of our famous uh-huh. movies like you know they had goof troop and they had like little mermaid tv show which slapped um they had like those shows but i did not remember this existed until i looked and i looked at another clip and i was like i know this <laughs> what is this so 
truly Mandela effect nostalgia. Whoa, just all of the above. <laughs> Shout out to the people that remember this. Isn't it crazy? Because it's like something that's like so deep in your mind. I and the fact that they got Lou Rawls. Like, please look up Lou Rawls. He he has a very deep bassy voice. Like he sings love songs. Like. I was like, who picked Lou Rawls to do a hip hop theme song? Like decisions were made. Decisions were made. Um, Okay. Back to, back to the bare necessities. Um, So it's a very, very popular song. Um, Disney used to use it a lot in advertisements, not just for the junk, not just for the jungle book, but just for like uh, Disney, the brand and the company. Um, This was also a song that where, like you had the okay so it's complicated and we're going to get into the race thing racism that's going on here because although Louis Prima was a famous jazz singer he was a white famous jazz singer at the time and I have I kind of it was a little uncomfortable to like and I know people will say jazz was mainstream in the popular in the general public by this time it was super commercialized and famous Um, but to me yeah, and it felt a little like cover bandy, almost like cruise ship interpretation of jazz because they they came up with all the scatting on the yeah. t- on the like when they a, started the scatting, and I was like, I, I, I was can like, tell. Because okay. at first I, I was tell. like, is this a black man? And then they started scatting, and I was like, oh, this is <laughs> nobody of color. No, this is Caucasian. <laughs> this is white like, bread, eight by ten paper. Yeah. See, it felt cosplay. Like I think this is what black jazz singers oh do. God. So I'm gonna do yes. it. But no, and you're so sounding because like jazz is all about like wrong notes and like just going in the feel of it. But even then, if I listen to black jazz, people scat. It makes sense. The words make sense. Like it's yeah, <laughs> it hits that AAV like deep root ebonics part of my brain, and I'm like, of course, those are perfect lyrics. And I'm listening to this, and my yeah. brain was like, no, stop. yeah, immediately. I don't. <laughs> right it just feels like uncanny valley like you're copying black people but you don't really understand yes. what we do so then it sounds just like it sounds like <laughs> ai doing it so it's very not good um now the song the melody's great i remembered every word but it's like <sighs> just the scatting part made me uncomfortable and um okay and then this song even though on paper this song is like not considered the most famous song from the soundtrack it feels like it is to me is that how it feels to y'all like when you think of this movie you think of the bare necessities necessities. yeah right same like in the it was shocking to me that the song has not been like reused in the zeitgeist Mm -hmm. of the general public as much as the next song which is i want to be like you um but it feels like it's outlived i want to be like you even though on paper it has not which is very interesting. Um, it's like, I guess, like what's famous to like the individual or like the person, the kid growing up with it versus like the how the public who's older viewed yeah. it. I don't know. Um, so next song, <sighs> here we go. Buckle up, put your seatbelts on. I want to be like you, parentheses, the monkey song. Parentheses. Um, it's racist. Um, this is the reason why there's a disclaimer at the beginning of the movie. Um, oh, there was a disclaimer. So, yeah, just for emphasis, <laughs> yeah, it was Disney put the disclaimer. Um, 
they said <laughs> we know that it was wrong then and it's wrong Which now it's like, i'm glad you recognize that you're like well some people believe that um louis armstrong was you know supposed to i mean not louis armstrong but king Louis was supposed to be like an african-american but it's just new york and i'm like how much of new york italian people grew what up? like read the imdb i saw that and i was like mm, wait a second because how much of italian people from new york were around black people and how much is of their vernaculars is because they learned english from black people it's still a exactly <laughs> and to make it and to make it even more messy how many one drop rule black folks octoroons were passing as quote-unquote mm. italians but were when mm, like the king it's, louis it's a very very habitual beat i said <laughs> what i was because at first yeah. i thought i was reading too much into listen it, with baloo with baloo alone i was like is this new york it's supposed to be re- read as new york or light skin uncle at a barbecue like i can't tell who i'm supposed to be reading this yeah. character is. y'all could be like oh it's an animal but when you put voices and vernacular into characters you immediately give them you know a face uh ethnicity or right you give them identity. you give them identity yeah and you so give them when you humanize them, you have to right. humanize them somewhere. They're anthropomorphic. You know? Yeah. So one, first of all, the entire movie being set in India, everybody's accent is just all over the place. There's that. They don't have to have Indian English accents, which I don't. I think would have still been racist. But it was just kind of weird that it was like British and Australian, and then you get to like Baloo and the monkeys and stuff, and it's all of a sudden very much like the vernacular they're using is is very much black, and Baloo is. Yeah, and, and it's even like the use of yeah. jazz music. I was like, I'm, I was like, first of all, I'm asking too much of white men in the '60s to actually, you know, work with people of color <laughs> and do like any traditional Indian music <laughs> into the actual. Film. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I feel like if, if they wanted on location music, this would have been in like top you two racist India. movies. <laughs> I know Indians go draw the jungle. Like, but God forbid you associate with the people and then listen to the music that's there. And then maybe, then maybe <laughs> put it in the actual movie. Anyway, but I thought I was looking too much into it, right, Nia? And then we got to the, when the monkeys came in and I was like, yeah. hold the fuck up. Those are black people. I could tell that's black people because <laughs> yeah. whatever the fuck Baloo was doing, I was like, okay, it's it's giving me mixed signals. It's giving me a group around black people. And then we got to King Louis, and I was like, why does this person sound like they're trying to sound like Louis Armstrong? Because <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> and the fact his name is Louis and Louis Armstrong is literally like they wanted him for the the Walt Walt knew what he was doing he ha, he see the thing is the the whole like oh he didn't oh it's not that they didn't know they knew enough to not actually hire Louis Armstrong they knew to be the actual monkey but we can get another white singer who sounds like it <laughs> a white man doing black cosplay to do the same thing like like and then what's so funny I have a quote from him Where's the goddamn quote? Okay, here it is. Louis Prima was like, they approached him and he literally said, you want to make a monkey out of me? You got me. Like, sir, why are you, why are like, (sighs) I could talk about this for hours because like the insidious thing is like Disney, Walt knew that it was racist, but he did it anyway. (laughs) Which tells me he's an asshole. Like if you did water's wet, but like, why do they sound like black people? Why does why are you using bonnets? And the fact you could have just went with the all the other random assets and vernaculars you were using for the other characters. 
<laughs> like, like, and what's crazy is like, th- think of it this way, y'all. This is 1967, 66 oh, right. when this was made at the height of the civil rights era. Like people are like, we don't want to see like caricatures and we're like pushing for civil rights. And then Walt knows it's racist. It's giving like white person that's like, well, you we know, I like, we I don't think of it that way. Armstrong to do this character, but instead we're going, but we knew that would be racist because that's what white people call you blacks, right? They call you monkeys. And we don't want to be a contribute to that. So we're just going to hire a white man who doesn't, who can't scat <laughs> to do that. And, <laughs> and therefore it's not racist because the singer behind him is not black is white like like they thought that adding a white man there would like absolve them from the racism like no because and and the thing is like the the the, to me it's like to only put in context for those who don't get it because i guess jazz now is just so gentrified that people can't associate it with like blackness the way that they should but like (laughs) it's black it's blackity black black like but the thing is now it's like it's so gentrified that people think jazz is just oh it's just coffee shop music which is a whole other conversation but like think of it this way it's like something that is so innately black like hip-hop today or like gospel music or r&b like a visceral like something that is coded black by society like during this time people thought jazz and black people and like to me like a genre that's coded black to say that him making the monkey characters sing a jazz song is only in because they wanted to make fun music. I it's 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 giving a lie. Mowgli, like they knew what they were doing by Mowgli making and monkey. King like, Louis. They knew what they were, were doing. swing dancing. Like <laughs> that. Yeah. He said. Yeah. Something like, about something something jive, and I said, no, <laughs> y'all didn't do that. Ooh. and I feel like. And what's so funny, I bet they patted themselves on the back for not making something as racist as like the crows and Dumbo. And it's like, they're still <laughs> like, just because they're yeah, not no. doing, well, I done seen a horse fly. Like, unless they're not doing that, there's still racism there because he's talking like a black man. And also the, the, the like, I want to be like you, like the song is like, I want to be I like you, like you like man you, cub, yeah. like implying, right. And it's like the coded black character wants to be like, oh, like, human which is so there's layers to the race and they also and layers got away with it because and then, is supposed to be a personal color and it's like you yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> oh they definitely thought they had a pass they definitely thought they had several passes up in here um so then besides that the song is okay the song was recorded separately so robert so the sherman brothers because of the 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 two f- singers, fa- Barry, who are famous at the time, which is Louis Prima and um, what's his name? Who I just mm-hmm. said, Phil Harris. They both were famous for other stuff at the time. So they were like, they couldn't meet up in the schedule. So they both recorded this separately. Um, and that was like one of the first times Disney had ever done that, where the actors were not like in the room together. Um, besides that, after that coming up, they wanted to... <sighs> He wanted to, Walt wanted to make his version more upbeat. And he said, like I said before, he wanted to have crazy ways to have fun with the music. And I think it's ironic that he thought crazy ways to have fun with music. Let's make it jazz. Um, We'll make, and they thought of King Louis, like we'll make him king of the swingers. (laughs) We'll make him a jazz man. And I said, oh God, white men, please, please. And these are quotes. Literally Richard Sherman said in an interview, we'll make him king of the swingers. I said, oh my God, please. Um, 
then what's ironic is that this song is the one that's been covered a 900 million jillion times. My goodness, like the amount of covers, I was shocked. I looked at this list and I said, <laughs> what? Y'all, why? This is more than like some older mm-hmm. Disney songs. Like, like I can go down the list. Like Craig David, I listened to Craig David. Like what is happening? Why did he, he sing a cover of this Jonas for an brother. awards show in the UK? Oh, I remember Craig that. Dimmer. Oh, wait. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you don't just, oh my god Fallout boy what the fuck this. <laughs> like what's happening like this is just people are covering this song and i don't i don't get it. a j-pop band little glee monster covered this um like and then there's a a, a cover that actually charted like on the charts in the year of our lord 2013 <laughs> was by british singer robbie williams and it charted in Austria at 55, Germany 85, and Ireland at 64. Like this charted, y'all. Like people, people love this song. Um, Bare Necessities did not get nearly any covers. So I was thoroughly shocked that more people were interested in this, especially when like, I have not heard this song in years. I don't know about y'all. Like out of the two, which one do y'all hear more frequently in the wild? (laughs) Yeah. And you'd think that's why it's so weird to me, the disconnect between like physical fame. I mean, like the numbers and like the stuff on paper, but in the wild, it feels like the Bare Necessities is a more wide reaching song and a more famous song, but it technically isn't quote unquote. So I don't know. It's very strange. Um, I prefer the Bare Necessities to I Want to Be Like You for obviously reasons. Um, which which song did y'all like the most on this soundtrack, or did you like the soundtrack? Um, I just at all? remember Bare Necessities. I literally mm-hmm. couldn't even hum the other song you're talking about because I I watched the movie that. yesterday. I I don't remember that song. <laughs> I um, want to be like you. <laughs> yeah, that nope. one does not ring a bell. It's not ring a bell for me. <laughs> uh, what about you, Mary? Um, yeah, Bare Necessities and I Want to Be Like You were the only two ones I remembered and then um, the only ones I liked. Uh, I I yeah. remember a lot of more songs from the second, the sequel. For this one, I definitely think of Bare Necessities mm-hmm. and then I prefer the Elephant Song. Keep it up, two, three. I thought that was fun. And so, but yeah. I mean, I want to be, I get mm-hmm. why I want to be like you. It's popular. <laughs> I just, I... Yeah, it's it, it. There's too much context with it to enjoy it. <laughs> what about you? Did you like the soundtrack? Yeah. Ah, uh, the Bare Necessities is a great song. I feel like I would, I might go in my free time eventually and look and see what other songs Gilkeyman wrote because he was on, mm-hmm. he was on to something. Disney just Walt wasn't seeing the vision. Um, so I might check his out to see if his are better. But like the rest of the songs, I didn't. I don't remember. I want to be like you. I remembered it, but it was not my favorite off of this soundtrack. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Nia, for that. Let's move on to Origins mm-hmm. with Marin. Okay. My sources are livehistoryindia.com and lwlies.com. Uh, the source material for Disney's Jungle Book was by uh, Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book, um, released in 1894. The Jungle Book was actually not a novel, but a collection of short stories. 
uh, Mowgli and his band appear in a total of nine connected stories. The first story, Mowgli's Brothers, was actually first published in the St. Nicholas magazine before becoming part of the book. Uh, the Jungle Book has many other stories set in different geographic locations with exotic and with exotic animals and people belonging to various ethnicities. Um, but of course, the most popular were the Wolf Boy and his adventures. Um, to simply summarize Kipling's Jungle Book, uh, Mowgli wanders off as an infant while his family is under attack from Shere Khan. Taking refuge with a family of wolves, Mowgli nestles among the cubs straight away and is adopted by their parents. As a boy, Mowgli is schooled in ways in the ways of beasts by Bagheera and Baloo, while also having Ka watch over him. However, Khan's sly manipulation of the wolves forces Mowgli to flee the jungle and find refuge back among his own people, who view him with deep distrust. Faced with life as a dual outcast, Mowgli realizes that he must face Khan once and for all. Um, the story of Mowgli is believed to have been inspired by the children who were lost to the wild in colonial India. Um, to point some notable differences in Kipling's book, um, my source is from Disney F Disney Fied or Disney Tried the blog. Um, uh, Mowgli is a child who doesn't wear a loincloth in his story and has adapted to the jungle very well. He can hunt, track, hunt, track, and kill. Um, as well as the other predators in the jungle. Uh, Bagheera is Mowgli's protector, but they have more of an equal relationship in his story. He is actually even more fear feared than Khan. Um, Baloo teaches Mowgli about the laws of the jungle and frequently smacks him upside the head if he gets anything wrong. Uh, Ka in this storyline is one of Mowgli's wisest companions, and he actually saves him a couple of times. Perhaps uh, the biggest role Ka plays is when a pack of Indian hunting dogs known as D-Holes threatens the wolf pack. The pack is unmatchable in strength. Even Shere Khan retreats from them. Um, and Mowgli's trying to think of ways to get rid of them. Ka carries Mowgli along the river and shows him to a ravine where the little people live. The little people is supposed to be um, vicious bees which sting to death uh, sting to death any intruders. So while Mowgli leads um, the dog uh, pack there, Ka protects him by holding him underwater where they can't sting him and prevents the current from carrying him away. Um, King Louie does not exist in Kipling's story, but there is still a community of monkeys. During their afternoon nap the of um, Mowgli, Bagheera, and Baloo, the monkeys kidnap Mowgli and, with the intent of one day making him their leader, and they whisk him away to their home in the cold, cold lairs. Instead of making fire, they want him to teach them how to make huts to shelter from the wind, but they quickly get bored of this and decide to keep Mowgli as prisoner. Um, Shere Khan is a tiger with a limp. He manipulates some of the wolves in Mowgli's pack to get them to cast him out. Kipling's Mowgli faces Shere Khan uh, twice. The first time is during an altercation at Council Rock. Akila has grown old and weaker and one night fails to catch a deer. This means that the pack leadership is now open and Shere Khan, who has been letting the younger wolves follow him for scraps and teaching them how to snatch children, believes this is his chance to drive Mowgli out of the pack and lay claim to him as his kill. Bagheera sees this coming and tells Mowgli to steal the red flower, which is fire, from the man village to protect himself. Mowgli steals a fire pot and keeps it alive by feeding its twigs while they wait for the next meeting at Council Rock. While at the meeting, Akila says that if they make Mowgli return to the man village instead of driving him out, and into Shere Khan's claws, he will not put up a fight when it comes to battle him for leadership. 
Mowgli then takes a burning branch out of the fire pot and smacks Shere Khan around the head with it before agreeing to return to the man village of his own accord. He swears that the next time he comes to Council Rock, he will drape the tiger's skin across it and then heads down to the human settlement. The second and final time he encounters a tiger is a few months later when he is living as a cattle driver in the man village. Gray, Gray Brother, which is one of the wolves, comes to see him and occasionally comes to see him occasionally, together with the aged Akila, and they hatch a plan to get rid of the tiger once and for all. Since Shere Khan is partial to human flesh, he doesn't stray too far from the village, and one afternoon he is lying up in a narrow ravine to the farmland. With the help of the wolves and the herd of buffalo, Mowgli causes a cattle stampede. Unable to climb up the steep walls to escape, Shere Khan is crushed to death by the stampede, and the Mowgli sits and skins him. Akila sits and watches him and also pins down Boldeo, a man from the village who has a very low opinion of Mowgli and who stumbled across the scene. Mowgli takes the skin back to Council Rock and drapes it across the rock as he promised. His foe vanquished, he is able to live among the wolves again. The end. Damn. That is much darker. <laughs> yeah. There's still the more threats. to the story, too. Oh, uh, yeah. The threats, the death. I mean, I do appreciate that Mowgli is not a punk bitch across all the adaptations. <laughs> he wants to smoke. He's not a fan of Runaway from Shere Khan. Um, damn. At least the Shere Khan in the book was... I can't even say he was better than the live... The live-action Shere Khan is just... <laughs> scary. <laughs> I think, is he voiced by Idris Elba? I don't remember, but that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But um, no, I can see why Walt wanted to be like, um, we might want to make this a little bit more kid friendly. <laughs> but even then, I feel like he took a lot of the flavor out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, Idris Elba did play Shere Khan in the live action. Um. But yeah, it was it was cool. I did like that. I need us to stop with the stampedes in animal movies, though. That's like triggering. <laughs> when I was it's reading triggering. this, the person um, who did the blog, when he said that he caused a stampede, he was like, Uncle Scar would be proud. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, thank you, Marin. Let's move on to variations with Corey. Okay, so there are actually quite a few variations of this kind of tale throughout history. I'm kind of surprised that this does not have one of those um, folktale index numbers like uh, Cinderella and Snow White did. Because there's like hella stories about feral children or like wild children. And it probably because it's probably because this kind of thing does happen in real life. Like there is an instance of a child being left a toddler a one-year-old being like abandoned and him being protected by like wild cats like kittens and like house cats feeding him and whatnot um there's stories of kids being abandoned and being adopted into wild dog packs like this kind of thing does actually happen which is very surprising um but the two main stories i wanted to focus on were one um this one surprised me because of how old this is this is like the second oldest religious text ever the epic of gilgamesh um around 2100 bc 
Um, so in the Epic of Gilgamesh, there is a person named Enkidu who is supposed to be Gilgamesh's best friend. He's a legendary figure in ancient Mesopotamian mythology. Um, and once again, he is the best friend of the Gilgamesh. So in the epic, it's said that like they don't they don't really know if Enkidu was supposed to be like a beast, like half beast, half mm-hmm. man, like like what is that um word for that kind of half horse, half man person? Oh my god. A mint a centaur? Yeah, they don't know if he's supposed to be something like that or he's just like a wild man raising the wild, which is hairy. <laughs> but the direct quote about how he grew up was like, and Kidu came to life full grown, hairy, and wild. He lived like an animal, eating grass and drinking with beasts at water holes. Hearing of the untroppable wild man, Gilgamesh sent a woman to tame him and teach him the ways of civilization. This is very similar to the ending of Jungle Book. Um, <laughs> after seven days with her, Enkidu could no longer live as an animal, innocent of human ways. So after he meets a woman, he joins civilization and lives as a human man and goes on these Aww. adventures with Gilgamesh. Okay, and then the second one I wanted to mention was Atalanta, which did not inspire the name of the city Atlanta surprisingly (laughs) yeah the atlanta comes from atlantic like the train Uh, yeah uh, which makes sense (laughs) yeah i thought it was this at first i was like oh okay greek no it's not okay (laughs) so atalanta was a woman from greek mythology um source wikipedia by the way her father as many fathers in greek mythology was very disappointed that he had a daughter so he abandoned her on a mountaintop and left her to die. But a female bear happened to be in the area and this bear had just lost her cubs. And so when she saw Atalanta, Atalanta, she took her in her care and basically raised her. And also, like just to mention this, the female bear is a symbol of the god Artemis. So that might be like, mm. oh, like Artemis sent the bear to help this woman out but yeah she raised her and she became a great hunter and athlete and was later accepted by her father who of course wanted to marry her off when she became of age which is like uh, okay (laughs) and then lastly tarzan which everyone knows was literally directly inspired by the jungle book the author of tarzan mentioned that like i got this idea from the jungle book and if you don't know the story of Tarzan, I'm not sure how if you're listening to this because you that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but <laughs> Tarzan basically was a boy who what happened exactly in Tarzan? Didn't his family, his parents like accidentally abandon him? There was like a shipwreck or something. Yeah, and, they shipwrecked and they got killed by a jaguar. Oh, damn. <laughs> I forgot that part. <laughs> but yeah. If parents don't die. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> they don't become an orphan. It's like an anime character. You always have to be an orphan. But um yeah, his parents become they his parents end up being killed and he's raised in the wild by monkeys, right? I'm pretty yeah, sure. Apes, apes. apes, yes, apes. But actually very similar to um the jungle book he meets a woman and she brings him into normalized normal society and mm-hmm. he lives as a man yeah watch the movie with brendan Fraser in it that's what i want to end off with oh 
Damn, that should be my next 2000s movie. We're definitely doing that. Uh, thank you, Corey. Um, I guess you can guess about the uh the critiques about this. Most people, most people yeah, love there was one I was gonna put in there, but I didn't. So basically, they were saying that like. T- what is it? Oh my God! They were saying that it's an al- that this movie is an allegory for like colonialism and imperialism, and that Mowgli represents like the British Imperials imposing on like India in his way huh? of talking to the animals. Yeah, that that's why I, when I kept reading because that was the most common criticism, and I was like, I don't actually, I don't know if I agree with this. So I'm not even no. going to mention it. Why people are projecting? <laughs> You're projecting because I know you hear all of those the those foreign accents and now you're thinking yourself as the non-oppressor that's what i think about that because mogul's the only human in that there's no way because i know kipling's original kipling was all isn't kipling a white man who was just born in india yeah yeah literally all right okay so kipling was just a white man who was born in india the original story was just about nature and how like it's unforgiving and how humans and animals and nature have to coexist somehow but it's very hard right um that's the point of the main book there the if there is any allegory in this story which there really isn't because there's no plot there's like <laughs> there's not enough plot for people to be doing deep ass critiques on the original version of the movie how in the fuck is Mowgli a colonizer that's why i didn't put it in there because when i read it i literally read the whole article like three times when i was at work and i was like do i want to even like because i was trying to look for criticisms because i didn't really i couldn't think of besides Uh like the obvious like racism um but i couldn't really think of like anything i could see people critiquing this movie on and that was like Uh the most one like people literally googled how is jungle book related to imperialism and i was just like what no it's not it's The only imperialistic part of it is the background for the elephant who was in the army when India was a British colony. That's about it. You can't say Mowgli. (laughs) Indian people are indigenous to Indians. Mowgli's not white. (laughs) What are you talking about? He was colonizing the forest, apparently. I mean, the jungle, like allegedly, according to these people. Trying to fit in with the wolves is very colonizing. Mowgli did better than you bitches who claim to be doing better for the world as colonizers. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> How was Mowgli colonizing when he's trying to survive? Right? I, I, don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But most of, of course, most of the big people were like, oh, this is very nostalgic because, you know, Walt died before this was released. And so they're like, oh, this is his last movie. It was really touching. And I'm like, uh, How? Whatever. There was anyway. no dedicate, like, in what way was this related <laughs> to Walt Disney? This didn't represent him in any way. Like, right. People were very nostalgic about it, you know, and I'm just reading this lightly off of Wikipedia. Um, they said, oh, even though he strayed from Kipling's stories, but nevertheless, the result is thoughtfully delightful. It's the happiest possible way to remember Walt Disney as a racist white man. There we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> that being said, though, moving forward, I definitely think we should include video games as a part of our deep dives. Because there's like a whole video game section on Wikipedia, Corey. So if you want to also, um, yeah, we could probably start talking about Kingdom Hearts with a lot of, with yeah. a lot of these movies. <laughs> okay, right. um, to wrap up, Marin, what is your rating? 
Um, I'll give Jungle Book like a 6.5, almost 7. At the time that I watched this movie, I'm not going to lie, racism went right through my over my head. Same. I, I watched the movie and I said, I immediately thought that the warning at the beginning was racism towards the Indian people. And so mm. when the movie ended, I was like, um, I missed it. So <laughs> definitely uh, before I knew it, I, I, I just in general give the movie like a 7, I guess. Okay. What about you, Corey? Yeah, I would give it a seven. And I think my how much I love the live action is probably is what's raising that score up to a seven. Mm, but I'll right. give it a seven. Right, right. What about you, Nia? Honestly, this was never growing up one of my favorites. Um, even as a kid, it was not on my radar like that. So I don't think I have the nostalgia goggles helping me <laughs> with the score. Or like I feel like because it wasn't the first time I seen it, but it was definitely just, mm, it had been a long time. So I guess I'd give it uh-huh. like a five because I don't feel any type of way about this. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, I'm not trying to say like, like it's not giving it, nothing's like helping boost it up for me. It's like, it's just like five. It's there. Yeah. Like it's average. It's not horrible. It's not great. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. Um, what do you think, Tori? Racism aside. Also, I forgot to mention this, but the whole... 10 year old seducing another 10 year old at the end was not it i i just yeah. had to say that before we left i, I was just sitting here like they said that the ending had come and gone 10 times which means this child's a 10 i don't care if we're in 1724 i don't also also i can't be mad at the voice actress for sounding like an adult when she sings but that really took me off guard that they chose that to be the ending it was bullshit (laughs) i was just like question that's not the that's not similar to the ending in the the live action (laughs) it's much more close to the original (laughs) okay absolutely not um but the girl named shanti does come back in the second one so they just kind of use her as like another character but i was just like that's so weird and then the song she's singing i was like I don't have time for this patriarchal bullshit. Y'all already don't have any women in this movie anyway. Uh, listen, it's it's a four. It's a four. Um, I th- can appreciate the the animation style. I can appreciate the the characters and the comedy. The music is just meh. There's only one or two good songs. I had much more nostalgia watching the sequel and then the live action. The live action is great. I still think it's one of Disney's best live actions. Um, It was so much fun to watch. And so, yeah, the 67 version, though, it's it's a it's like a four. I don't need to watch it again. I don't have to watch it again. I don't think I would. I would let kids watch that. We would just have to talk about it afterwards. Like you have to do with a lot of these movies. But yeah, so that was that. That was Jungle Book. Our next movie is The Aristocrats. And then we head into the seventies. The seventies is <laughs> the seventies and the eighties like straight to DVD <laughs> shit that y'all have probably never heard of. <laughs> Box of the Hound, Black Cauldron, yeah. Great Mouse Only Detective. Like... I'm excited yeah. for the Brave Little Toaster though. I like that movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> all these. I feel like why do I feel like this era just doesn't feel Disney-esque? Like I guess it's yeah, been Walt's it's dead, but like. It, it definitely doesn't, doesn't feel like, feel like Disney. Disney. We don't get signature Disney until the 90s. That's like the real golden era. Once we hit off with Little Mermaid, yeah. 
after that, babe, Lion King, Goofy Movie, Pocahontas, Toy Story, that's all back-to-back. That's all back-to-back. So we're hitting that experimental phase with Disney, which I think is very signature to the 80s. And so that's probably like the, the movie industry in general that was like at a peak. So we definitely weren't going to get the same. It's like a lot. I feel like these movies are the movies like people who like Back to the Future watch the Brave Little Toaster and Grave Mouse Detective when they were young. So <laughs> yeah. those, it kind of correlates with that kind of like like sci-fi fantasy era that was happening in the 80s. Yeah, and I definitely feel like there's definitely fandoms out there that go yes. hard for this era of Disney because it's probably nothing else like this that's ever yep, going to yep, get yep. made. Um, but if you want to listen to us talk about the Sword of the Stone um, and listen to us talk about the aristocrats coming up, make sure you are uh, subscribed to notifications. Also, um, Nia and Corey did our first collaboration with the Press Start podcast. You guys can head over there to listen to that episode. I listened to some of it. It was very fun. They talk about video games and how we made the podcast and Kingdom Hearts. I think you guys talked about Kingdom Hearts. Am I right? Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, okay. Yes, yes we look, did. My brain is working. So you can go ahead over that and support us there. You can follow us at Twitter on commented or tiktok or comment podcast for more or you can join our discord until next time i'm tori i'm Marin. i'm nia and i'm decoria bye-bye bye